Good morning, everyone. I have the challenging task, but also the pleasure of summarizing the discussions that we've had over the first three days of this year's Singapore Perspectives Conference. When I was reflecting on what was said uh, in the various panels over the last week or so, the image of the mandala suddenly came to mind. The mandala to me offers a visual metaphor that I believe encapsulates the very themes that were raised at this conference. The mandala has been used uh, by scholars such as Professor Wang Gangwu, uh, who's in the audience today, in describing historical interlinkages and politics of our region. It is also a geometric image that holds symbolic significance for Buddhists and Hindus, and it is a beautiful exemplar of Asian art that might be drawn by all. It may be used for teaching and healing for the purpose of channeling focus and concentration. In the case of the Perspectives Conference, it represented to me a diverse and range of voices and ideas, all taking their place in and contributing to a deep and meaningful creation. The discussions were rich and complex. There were at times divergent ideas, but all were part of this beautiful tapestry called Singapore. All ideas of all colors were filled into the contours of this mandala. All had their place. The discussions were also conducted under unusual circumstances. For the first time, the conference was held virtually against the sad and challenging backdrop of a global pandemic which has to date led to more than two million lives lost economies being shut down, many millions of people thrown out of work or certainly working and earning much less. As of yesterday, 25 and a half million people were still currently infected with COVID-19, over 111,000 of whom are in serious or critical condition. Our thoughts are with them and the families of all those who have passed on. Singapore Perspectives this year, therefore, is aptly titled Reset because Singapore needs to find a path forward in this new normal. Apart from the physical and material challenges, Singapore also faces existential problems. As polarization and identity politics threaten to split people apart, what can hold it together? As a starting point for the conference, we felt, therefore, that it would be meaningful and useful to use the principles of our pledge as signposts, a north star to an uncertain future. The first three days of the Singapore Perspectives Conference was organized into three tracks, each focusing but not wholly restricted to the broad subject areas, all anchored by key phrases from the Singapore Pledge. Day one on the 12th of January was on the economy, and we considered our prosperity and progress. The second day, two days later, was on uh, society and how we achieve happiness based on justice and equality. The third day, on the 19th of January, we talked about politics and governance and how to build a democratic society. We had three separate sessions on each of the first three days of the conference. We looked at jobs and skills, environment and sustainability, and the global economy on day one, identities and cohesion, technology and livability, and the soul of the nation on day two and then multilateralism and global cooperation. 
the values or qualities of leadership and global trends, social movements and democracy on day three. That brings us here to today, our final day of the conference with three plenary sessions when we will try to bring all of our discussions thus far and present them to business and political leaders for their own perspectives of what needs to be reset and perhaps move on to the how in order for us to achieve happiness, prosperity and progress. Many things were said in those, three, uh, in those nine sessions over those three days, but I think three main ideas surfaced from all of the discussions. And these three ideas are key to resolving the challenges of our future. They are equality, diversity, and leadership. I will deal with each in turn. First, equality, and its flip side, inequality. The ideal of a society based on justice and equality is part of the commitment embedded in the Singapore Pledge. Across all nine conference sessions, ranging from jobs and the nature of work to the adverse impacts of climate change, in all forms of capital, the unequal distribution of resources came up time and time again. Many panelists in every single session pointed to pre-existing global trends accentuated and exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic that have led to sharp disparities in employment opportunities and wealth, socioeconomic status that lead to division and polarization in society, access to the digital world, environmental impact and damage, and the accumulation of human, social, community, and cultural capital across successive generations. Many panelists Oh, sorry, Senior Minister Taman Shanmugaratnam, in his opening remarks in the first session of the conference, talked about the challenge to make sure that those lower down are not left behind, raising wages and re-rating blue-collar jobs in the interests of a cohesive society. He proposed that it will require collective solutions and economic strategies to ensure continued job demand for jobs up and down the ladder. Professor Beatrice Verde de Mauro, speaking in Forum 3 on the global economy, remarked that rising asset prices have had an effect that has meant wealth has increased for those at the top. She said, some of the most wealthy people have had a good pandemic in that sense. Among the people who have the lowest education, who already had the lowest wages to start with, have been at the highest risk to lose their jobs. Professor Audrey Yu in Forum 6, Soul of the Nation, discuss the idea of intergenerational equality and justice in the idea of cultural sustainability as, as an essential underpinning of our nation's soul. That to ensure intergenerational justice and equality, we need to consider what are the practices, the old and the new, both tangible and intangible assets that the, gen the current generation would need to pass on to the next. She was discussing this generational transfer of assets in the context of the country's cultural legacy but, and how that might evolve and be transmitted to the next generation. But I guess we could also consider this idea of intergenerational equity or equality more broadly too and think about other assets, other resources, our economic, human, social and environmental capital. On these two last points, Ambassador Alami Musa in Forum 4 and Professor Simon Tay in Forum 2 noted the desire 
of the younger generation for society to review the primary values and principles that govern our society broadly across all social domains involving human rights and freedoms, as well as specifically about environmental governance and climate change. What solutions, if any, were offered up then to this issue of equality, or rather its lack? Something that cropped up time and time again was education, seen as a salve for inequality in very many aspects. But most of the call for more and better education seemed not to be for education in its traditional classroom context, but for more skilling in matters such as critical thinking, digital and media literacy, in fact, literacy and facility in its broadest forms, including language and regional cultural competencies. I take as an example of this what Professor Joseph Liao said in Forum 7 on multilateralism and global cooperation, about the need for Singaporeans to become more educated, more aware and in tune with its neighborhood, the Southeast Asian region calling for enhanced regional language facility among Singaporeans, for, for example, to acquire competency of the Malay language. This was echoed by Professor Simon Tay, Mr. Mudit Madni, Professor Linda Lim, and Mr. Victor Mills in other forums with regard to transboundary cooperation on environmental issues and business opportunities, or in Singapore's role as a regional hub. This was echoed uh, sorry, the evolving role of education as the underlying mechanism of social and economic mobility carries over from discussions from the younger generation at the Young Singaporeans Conference that took place last year. And into other panelists and participants' comments about the development of new skills and in transforming the way we understand meritworthiness in our meritocratic society. Given the importance of education in its broadest definition as that foundation for a more egalitarian Singapore, it is perhaps helpful that we will have the opportunity to discuss this with our guest of honour, the Minister for Education, Mr. Lawrence Wong, in our concluding session today. Another perspective related to the subject of education came up in a discussion on smart citizens. This idea was raised by Taiwan Digital Minister Audrey Tang in Forum 5 on technology and livability in the context of Taiwan's focus at the citizen level, enabling smart citizens in part using all available technological tools, but also in organizational systems, institutions and processes that allow the collective intelligence to solve societal and economic challenges, with examples given from Taiwan's successful strategies in dealing with COVID-19 thus far. And if we can think about the idea of smart citizens, not just being limited to the digital world, but to its broadest definition of being smart. So it's not just enabling digital literacy and capabilities of the people and the institutions that moderate their interactions, but also in all other domains of people's lives. These holistically smart citizens may then be enabled by all of the accompanying technology and applications and then come together to organize themselves to form the basis of a truly human-centric. This term was brought up in that session on livability by all of the other panelists. These smart citizens organizing themselves to form the basis of a truly human-centric smart nation. The topic of organization, or more specifically, how we organize ourselves, came up also frequently across the different sessions. 
Professor Tyler Cohen, uh, in the first session on jobs and skills, spoke about the idea of being able to retrain yourself with those most capable of self-organization, best able to adapt to the new future of work. And whilst he spoke about this concept of self-organization in the individual context of individual exceptionalism, I wonder if we might expand that idea about self-organization to an angle of enabling better organization of selves in terms of a grouping of workers, a community, in for and not-for-profit enterprises, in society and in all our political interactions. Perhaps you get a sense of this in what S.M. Taman said when he called for collective solutions to address demand for jobs at all levels in the quote flashed up earlier. And also in summing up his opening remarks when he talked about competing as a whole team rather than compete segment by segment of the workforce. He talked about the advantages of co-location of high, middle, and lower-skilled jobs in an ecosystem. This word ecosystem came up many, many times throughout all nine sessions. An ecosystem that provided resources such as reskilling, first-class logistics, and all of the advantages that come from world-leading enterprises operating here in Singapore. This ecosystem will see the quality of the labor force and of other services all going up to everyone's benefit. If we have the people with different skill sets, different backgrounds and ideas and style, and we take advantage of all the diversity that we have here and bring it all together in effective organizations, we share our risks and give each other in the collective the space to be the resilient, innovative, adaptable risk takers that can bounce back from failure, as said by Ms. Selena Ling, also in that same forum on day one. This collectivist, or to use a related term that we will return to later, this communitarian mode of organization relies very much on diversity, which is our second broad theme. And the link to, from what we have discussed about collective organization with diversity may be found in what Ambassador Alami Musa said in his opening presentation in the Forum on Identities and Cohesion, when he discussed different forms of diversity from the subcultural, perspectival, and communal diversity that we have in Singapore. In speaking on each of these diversities, he presented to us a sense of how this diversity can foster a spirit of openness and humility, the spirit to mutually benefit from each other, this whole idea of, or principle of mutuality. I found echoes of Ambassador Alami's ideal of a spirit of mutual benefit in what Professor Alex Edmonds said in his recorded presentation in Forum 2 about purpose. He was speaking as a professor of finance, and his points were, in the first part, aimed squarely at businesses. But he presented a vision where a primary focus on a business's purpose that integrated the interests of all its stakeholders in a sustainable way could lead to growing of the pie, resulting in the accretion of surplus or profit to all. I also felt this spirit or impulse in Forum 3 on the global economy in Professor Danny Kwa's proposal on what the Singapore domestic economy needs going forward. He proposed, let us now drive not for maximum efficiency, but the right mix between performance and resilience. I would read maximum efficiency in an economic or business context as the pursuit of maximum profit or the lowest possible cost. But if I take a broad view of what he refers to as performance and resilience, 
and think about this as akin to sustainable purpose, then our primary motivation should not be a pursuit of maximum profit at all costs, but the right balance of profit and purpose. But what purpose? Whose purpose? Because we are so diverse, we have different conceptions of what purpose might mean for ourselves as individuals or businesses or other organizational groupings. Singapore is a global city subject to influences from all around the world. The second of the three eyes that Associate Professor Daniel Goh presented as issues, as challenges for the society going forward in his discussants remarks in Forum 4. The three eyes were intersectionality, importation, and integration. And it is on the concept of intersectionality that I'd like to focus upon most in this part of my summary. Not being a sociologist, I had to look this up to make sure I got this right. Intersectionality is a framework for understanding how the different elements of a person's social and political identities combine or intersect to create different channels or sites for discrimination and privilege. This country must surely provide the best study of intersectionality, given Singaporeans' multi-everythingness extends across the board to almost every aspect or characteristic of our lives. Gender, race, religion, language, class, sexuality, disability, country of origin, and many others. If you look up intersectionality on uh, Wikipedia, as I did, you will see in this diagram presented to describe the concept. It's a relatively simple Venn diagram. But if we were to use a diagram like this to represent all of the different interstices in the 5.7 million people living in Singapore, you'd get something very much more complicated, possibly chaotic, with every intersection resembling no other. And that rather captures the problem. If each of us retreats into our own specific unique identities, getting further and further away from the lines or the common ground, that links us as a community, a society, or an ecosystem, we will atomize society, where our differences become more stark and potential flashpoints for misunderstanding and mistrust. The strong reaction that was engendered by one of the points of discussion that we had in Forum 4 on identities and cohesion perfectly illustrates the two issues of intersectionality and importation. This was on the matter of Chinese privilege a term imported from the Western debate on white privilege. Professor Chan-Hing Chi subsequently commented on this when she referred to this matter in a later forum, noting this explosion of heated views and reaction on social media on the idea of Chinese privilege. In her view, this comes from non-Chinese minorities feeling that there is Chinese privilege because they encounter racism and prejudice in Singapore, that there is institutional racism here. However, there was also a segment of the Chinese population, an older generation of the Chinese-educated community, who were forced to set aside their claims for majoritarianism, even though they were the overwhelming majority population. This intersection of generational and ethnic differences led to different perceptions of the term Chinese privilege, and the sense of people talking past each other and the twain never meeting. To me, it confirmed the point that Ambassador Alami Musa made about the need for Singapore to develop a dialogical society. He said, tolerance is not enough. We need to go to understanding the intermediate level 
an even higher aspiration of appreciation of our different cultures, languages, religion, and beliefs. That is what, what, meant, what is meant by the dialogical society and reaching our own common grounds as a people of diversity. Ambassador Alami ended his remark by linking diversity with the need for inclusivity, this reaching for our common grounds. Perhaps if we can do this, we turn intersectionality from a force of oppression into a source of strength, of resilience and empowerment for all in our society. If I may then bring a few threads together, sticking with this intersecting lines metaphor, as I finish off on the uh, topic of equality and diversity, we can div connect diversity and inclusivity with a suggestion of how we might achieve this through enhanced civic participation. And it is best summarized by quoting from Mr. Aaron Maniam from the last session on global trends, social movements, and democracy, Forum 9, when he said, we need to ensure that ours is an inclusive politics, a politics that is inclusive, not just in the sense of giving people equal access to resources, financial, educational, and civic, but we also need to make sure people have the wherewithal to participate in political life. That means an educational system that equips them with the vocabulary and a technology system that allows them to engage in a political life that is increasingly digital. I begin the summary on the theme of leadership with another quote that links the discussion on diversity with leadership. This one is from Ms. Zuraida Ibrahim again from that last forum session speaking about leadership diversity. She said, our Singapore leadership does not show enough internal diversity. If you look at the lineup on paper, everyone is very impressive, but if you look at them as a team, the combination of talents that they bring to the table, there is far more uniformity rather than diversity. I hope that this is something that the government is acutely conscious of and is working to address. If not, I think we are going to be headed into very dangerous territory where groupthink will dominate and policy outcomes will suffer as a consequence. Since we have been contemplating throughout this conference thus far about the resets required to achieve our visions of the future, it is necessary to ask ourselves about what kind of leadership is needed to guide us towards our desired outcomes. Singapore is often considered a connecting point in the region for economic activity and global supply chains, as well as a gateway for international businesses and organizations to enter into Southeast Asia. Many panelists raised the question of how we as a nation could use this position to take a stronger leadership position in the region, whether it be with regards to economic development, innovation, environmental sustainability, or multilateralism. How can we, to use Professor Simon Tay's phrase in Forum 2, make an outsized contribution to regional development? In the third forum on the global economy, Professor Linda Lim argued that Singapore should focus on being an origin hub rather than a connecting hub, becoming a leader that takes action instead of remaining a follower, albeit a fast one. She also expressed the need for a reset in being our own initiator of innovations, entrepreneurship, and job creation. We should look to be an origin hub for all dimensions of life. We can become leaders for environmental action, scientific innovation, multilateral efforts. We also have the potential to become a hub of cultural capital, not just for Singapore, but also for Southeast Asia, a showcase of our diversity with strong ties, bonds, and roots through to the surrounding region. This reminds me of 
Mr. Asahi Takano's comment during Forum 6 on the soul of the nation on Cuba's pride in their healthcare and how this pride could be considered a large part of the country's soul. Singapore has the potential to be a leader and originator of different types of cultural capital, whether it be the arts, science, innovation, sports. The main question is how we allow this, these to thrive. Professor Audrey Yu discussed how cult cultural policymakers should respond to the voices of the people, artists and sports people, to help enable new forms of culture to be produced, helping to bring the nation together and express who we are and who we want to be. This emphasis on engagement between policymakers and citizens brings me to my next point on trust, a topic which regularly appeared throughout the nine online forums as a crucial aspect uh, of leadership. According to the Edelman Trust Index, Singapore's institutions of government, businesses, NGOs and media enjoy a high level of trust from its citizens. However, many panelists during the sessions highlighted the various strains on trust between institutions of government and civil society. Mr. Liu Fengyuan in Forum 5 described how governance is not just about the provision of government services, but also about building institutions of trust. He emphasized the importance of participatory democracy, which focuses on consensus and alignment. Meanwhile, in Forum 9, Dr. Roberto Foa spoke about the concepts of trust and trustworthiness, elaborating on how those in positions of authority should listen and respond to popular concerns to be seen as trustworthy and gain the trust of those they speak to represent. Many of you will recall in Forum 5, Ms. Audrey Tang gave a presentation on the impact of collaborative efforts between civil society and government how Taiwan developed open source platforms to crowdsource information and also used technological tools to help officials keep an ear on the ground when trying to make decisions. These actions required a great deal of trust in these smart citizens mentioned earlier and also required a culture where people cooperated with each other and looked out for the best interest of the community. Beyond efforts to promote trust between civil society and institutions, Professor Ang Penghua also reiterated the need for a culture that promotes discussion, collaboration, and deliberation. Again, we hear echoes of what uh, Professor Alami Musa, sorry, Ambassador Alami Musa was talking about when he talked about this dialog dialogical society. As we push ahead, we need to pause and consider what are the ideal qualities for leaders in this new era which will be perhaps necessarily completely different from what we have experienced in the past. With greater complexity, rapid technological development, a changing world order, along with existential issues like climate change, what kind of leadership would be needed? In Forum 7, Professor Jared Diamond emphasized the importance of preparedness. He pointed to the example of Finland's special committee, which considers what potential risks that might arise in the future and takes action to prepare for them. Professor Diamond noted that being prepared for everything is surprisingly cheap and that being unprepared can be much more costly than expected. Mr. Han Fu Kuang in Forum 8 also raised important points about the need for moral leadership. He argued that having policies that were motivated and driven by values would allow citizens to have a stronger connection with leaders as they would be in a position to better understand the reasons behind decisions. Professor Margaret Heffernan also highlighted what she believed to be important qualities for leaders, humility, respect for citizens, and being comfortable with experimentation. She argued that very often, 
Leadership is not necessarily about having solutions to problems when they arise, but about knowing the process that would lead to a solution. She also emphasized the need for a process that involves engagement and cooperation, and that the heart and soul of the social contract is the heart and soul of leadership. Finally, during the eighth forum, Ambassador Chan Heng Chi expressed her desire for leaders to be bold and to seek a, a, a new culture of daring to try to push us so that we will not slip behind. What I find striking about these discussions is that we can repeatedly see the desire for collective leadership and collaboration when seeking solutions for problems. Mr. Aaron Maniam described the importance of having a deliberative or participative democracy, one that allows people to participate in a very lively way in the political life that they are in and take part in a deep and ethos-driven way in the lives of the societies they are in. Being able to work together and bring together different perspectives, aspirations, and ideas when forming solutions to the issues we face will be a crucial advantage going forward. A key takeaway from this is that leadership is not reserved for a select few, it is for everyone. We need to have a truly smart, connected citizenry that is able to understand the complexities we face as a population and work together to find solutions. This communal form of leadership will require collaboration, dialogue, engagement, and learning from each other. We can all be leaders, consistently working to do better as a society and a nation. This leads me to the notion of pathfinders, which Ms. Tan Ewan brought up during Forum 7. She articulated how, when faced with global and multilateral issues, Singaporeans have demonstrated the capacity to be pathfinders of workable solutions that address common needs. Here she speaks in an international context. But may this not inspire us to think about also being pathfinders on an inter-identity or interpersonal level in our own society, in our own enterprises? How can we lead and allow each other to take the lead on different issues? How can we better harness our diversity in leading each other? Ultimately, Singapore has 5.7 million pathfinders, possibly more if we include like-minded partners in the region. Perhaps now, as we think about resets, it is now the time to come together, to be leaders, and to find workable solutions. I end the summary with another image of a mandala, this time a more intricate, complex, and colorful design than the one shown earlier. With it, I hope to conjure the image of Singaporeans everywhere, each one at the different interstices of this beautiful mandala, coloring in their own spaces from their own perspectives, but collectively, all together in designing the Singapore of the future that we desire. As I indicated at the beginning, this Singapore Perspectives Conference entitled Reset is an integral part of the Reimagining Singapore 2030 project. I'm afraid that in the time allotted, I've not been able to bring in all of the other meaningful points that our panelists and moderators and participants have made in the conference thus far. We will nevertheless be taking everything that we've discussed in the nine previous sessions of the conference and hopefully into our three remaining sessions today and using that as material in the next phases of the reimagining project. These next phases will involve a deliberative process that involves a scenario planning exercise followed by a mass participation online exercise involving as many Singaporeans, both here as well as overseas, together with all others around the world 
who are champions of Singapore. In this, we hope to establish a means by which we learn from each other, not just what our hopes and dreams for a shared future together, but also the means by which we achieve happiness, prosperity and progress, our HPP, by helping one another. Thank you.